Welcome to the QNS Podcast. Each episode, we take a look back at the news in Queens. I'm Jacob Kay. And I'm Angelica Acevedo. Today on the show, there's a new streetcar system that's going to connect Queens and Brooklyn, and not everyone is happy about it. And a conversation with Siraj Patel, who's challenging Carolyn Maloney for her seat in Congress. On Tuesday, February 25th, the Justice for All Coalition, or JFC, protested a new streetcar proposed in Queens and Brooklyn. The group protested during a two-hour-long workshop hosted by the Economic Development Corporation and the New York City Department of Transportation, who together are leading the project. Right now, the city is pushing a plan that would cost $2.7 billion to build a zero-emission, state-of-the-art streetcar system along an 11-mile corridor from Astoria all the way to Red Hook, Brooklyn. They believe this new way of connecting Brooklyn and Queens will provide a crucial north-south transit route that would connect the 400,000 New Yorkers who live along it and the 300,000 people who work along what is one of the fastest-growing business corridors in the city. But JFC and others aren't convinced the plan is as good as the city says it is. Here's Jenny Dubnow, an artist and JFC member. We really oppose the BQX because for so many reasons. I mean, the, the big problem, one of the big problems is that the BQX is not really the idea of transit planners and transit experts. It's the idea of real estate developers. Dumnow is talking about a New York Daily News article that was published in 2016 that revealed that a number of developers with projects along the route donated to Mayor Bill de Blasio's administration. One of them was Brooklyn developer Jed Walentas, who created Friends of the Brooklyn Queens Connector back in February 2015. JFC also questions whether the BQX will promote transit equity, something its advocates say it will do. A big concern of the JFC is the way the BQX will be funded. The plan calls for a mix of increasing tax revenue, raising property tax values along the route, and federal funding. They're afraid this will end up displacing people who are living along the route, and it will only benefit luxury developers. The plan's opponents say the city should instead invest in the existing transportation system. For instance, the city could improve the bus redesign. There are all these transit deserts, true transit deserts. Queens and Brooklyn Waterfront is not a transit desert. So why are they asking for billions of dollars from the federal government when we really, if they're asking for money from the federal government, we should fix our subways, add add an express bus, you know, add a dedicated, clean express bus line. If you really think anyone in New York wants to slowly travel the entire perimeter of the Brooklyn Queens waterfront, which as a native New Yorker, not once have I ever wanted to travel the perimeter. I I got on the G train. I'm like, I need to get to Brooklyn. I'll take the G. At the workshop, an EDC rep told me that they will be releasing a revised draft of the BQX line in May and will then begin their environmental review process, which will take up to two years. Friends of the BQX also gave me a statement acknowledging the fact that there is a general lack of outer borough connectivity and that it's especially bad between Brooklyn and Queens. But they say the BQX fixes a lot of these issues and fixes them better than your traditional subway or bus. If you have an opinion or any questions or an interest in the project, the next BQX workshop in Queens will take place on March 10th in the CUNY Law School at 2 Court Square West in Long Island City from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Siraj Patel is an attorney, activist, and lecturer at NYU and a current candidate for Congress. But it's not the first time he's run. He ran for Congress in 2018, challenging Carolyn Maloney in New York's 12th district in the Democratic primary. But he lost. Now he's back again, and he says he's learned a lot. Although his approach to the race isn't the only thing that's changed in the past two years. This time around, there are also two other progressive challengers, 
So that's three people challenging Maloney for her district, one that covers parts of Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Northwest Queens. We spoke with Patel over the phone about his goals for office, what he's learned since the last election, and also Patel did some fun campaign stunts two years ago, and he teased us about some of the others he's got hidden up his sleeve. Here's our conversation with Suraj Patel. Thank you, Suraj, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Not necessarily why you're running, but just, you know, who you are? Totally. So uh, my name is Suraj Patel. I'm a uh, first-generation American, um, a lawyer, and a business ethics professor at NYU. I've worked for the Obama White House and uh, have been a lifelong activist and Democrat. You know, my parents came from India in the late 60s, early 70s. My dad was an MTA engineer um, who worked night shift fixing track. I remember when I was five years old, I'd be going uh, to school in the morning when he'd be coming back at night. That was 30, 31 years ago. And we always joke that those tracks are pretty much in the exact same condition they were back then, if not worse. And um, that kind of, you know, pulls me into why I'm running for office. Well, that was my next question. Why, why are you running for office? You know, because uh, if you look around at the problems that we have, uh, the problems of uh, lack of economic opportunity, access to education, mobility, infrastructure, all these things, the promise of New York, um, it's broken. And far too many people on both sides of the East River, especially on the Queens side of our district, are shut out of um, the economic system and the ladders of opportunity that, that allowed you know, people like me to live my American dream. Um, I got to grow up, uh, you know, like many immigrant families, we, we ran a bodega and then um, started our own businesses and got to grow up sort of working, uh, um, you know, to help build that, filling vending machines, sweeping parking floors. And I got to get an education um, and become an attorney and, and work for the greatest president of our lifetime, Barack Obama. And, you know, it's exhilarating to be a Democrat when we're leading uh, boldly with a vision for the future and we're playing offense. And it's absolutely devastating to be a Democrat when we are constantly playing defense. Well, that's precisely why I'm running, because we can't expect the people, um, you know, we can't expect change in this country that we desperately need. Obviously, we need Donald Trump out of the White House. We can't expect that change if we're not willing to change uh, right here locally at home. We can't send the same people we've been sending back to Washington for 25, 26 years, almost a quarter century, uh, and expect a different result. The people who embody the system that, that we've come to detest, who take more corporate PAC money than, than Republicans do, than Mitt Romney does, you know, um, and you wonder why we have problems with affordable housing, why we have problems with infrastructure, uh, why our working and middle class are, are left behind. And it's because, um, you know, the priorities and, and the judgment um, of the people in office needs to be questioned, and we need new people and new energy uh, to bring it there. You ran in 2018 uh, for this same seat. Uh, what's what's different this time around? What what's changed in your campaign? You know, when we ran in 2018, we uh, had I'm incredibly proud of that campaign. You know, we got 18,000 votes. That is more votes than anyone in New York City or New York State primary uh, as a challenger in history. And in any other district, that would have been a victory. We got an 800 percent increase in millennial turnout last cycle uh, compared to 2016. And 50 almost almost 50 percent of the people who voted in our primary had never voted in one before. So. We set out to build a new electorate, to engage new people, the forgotten voices, especially the voices on, um, in the Queens part of this district, for example. And we shot you know, through record turnouts. But it wasn't enough. What we want to do this time is make sure our message is heard uh, wide and loud by um, every constituency. I learned you know, 
sort of the hard way that you can't win an election by focusing only on sort of one demographic on 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 you know we focus a lot on young people and people of color but this campaign we're going to you know make a concerted effort to also try and speak to audiences that otherwise would be more you know just by default uh vote for the incumbent because that's who they know and and that's the plan here uh to to do both but look in any other industry if if a person came in um if a, if an entrant came in for example if, if I started a soda company and, and in the first year I got 43% of the market share from Coca-Cola, that'd be a pretty big victory uh, by any standard. Also about uh, the 2018 campaign, you guys got a lot of buzz for uh, doing things like recruiting volunteers on Tinder and putting your face on coffee cups from carts around the city. Do you have anything similar planned this election cycle? I mean, we will always do every with the number one reason we found that young people don't vote, people of color don't vote in these primaries. And, and just to give you a baseline indication, 6.8% was the turnout in 2016. Um, and the turnout for millennials was 1.2% in 2016. That's abysmal. You know? And we found out, we did some surveys and, and talked to people, and the number one reason they didn't vote is because they didn't know when the election was. And so even the simple thing as our current website is um, www.june23rd.nyc. You know, it's to remind people that June 23rd is the date they need to show up and vote. Um, the coffee cups, all those innovations, like, you know, we, we did some stuff to get people to know. Um, on, the, on the specific, you know, uh, dating apps, for example, like we just found out that uh, Elizabeth Warren's campaign did that in Iowa this year. Literally their organizing director. And so, um, you know, like you, you, you have to pioneer ways to get in front of folks because the old methods of, Sending mail and, and, and calling people um, on their cell phones is a nuisance, to be honest with you, <laughs> to young people. So we're just trying new things. We have some tricks up our sleeve this cycle, and and uh, you'll be the first to know, uh, you know, uh, what we're going to do to to get young people to turn out. Oh, well, I look forward to that. <laughs> so New York 12 is a district of extremes. You have Billionaires Row, and you also have, you know, the largest public housing community in the United States in Queensbridge. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you represent a district uh, that has such drastically different needs? I think that um, what you pointed out, this is one of the most unequal districts in the country, and it's also the wealthiest district in the country. It is absolutely a microcosm of the problems, structural problems facing America. It's the problems that gave rise to Donald Trump, you know. And so, if not from New York 12, then from where? We have an obligation to lead from here and show the country. Uh, a different path forward. Now, one thing every single person can agree on, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, is that we believe in an equality of opportunity in this country. Central to the premise of the American founding, Abraham Lincoln used to say, is the idea of upward mobility. And so our family opportunity guarantee, which is something that we dropped yesterday, who I'm so excited about this suite of policies, is a suite of five policies that asks everyone to put their money where their mouth is on the idea of guaranteeing opportunity. And so I can just tell you about those five. It is paid family and medical leave, a nationwide pre-K, a public option for universal childcare. You know, in some places, childcare can cost more than college tuition and it holds back working in middle-class families. Medicare for kids. And I think the centerpiece of this, the innovative piece um, that that really is making a lot of waves right now and we're really overwhelmed by the reaction already is a child allowance or a dividend universal. 
so that every family with a child under five years of age receives $500 a month direct cash payment, and every family with a child over five to 18 receives $350 a month. Now, this policy would replace the current alphabet soup uh, programs and tax credits we have, like the child tax credit, the EITC for kids, and all these things, because those programs only benefit folks who make enough money um, to earn the tax credit back. And it's bureaucratic mess, and it costs a lot of money and time and effort. Um, that's a waste. So to some extent, it's kind of like a UBI for kids. In the first year alone, at a slightly, only a slightly increase in cost to today, what we spent on these tax breaks and things, it halves child poverty in New York City and in the nation in the first year alone. Correspondingly, then, it pulls so many families out of poverty that far less families depend on food stamps and things like that, which, um, which are paternalistic and, and dated. And it puts every child on, on the ladder to successful, um, you know, uh, uh, to a successful life. So how are we going to cut inequality? Everyone agrees inequality is the uh, key problem of our lifetime. But we have seen a stalemate in the arguments about whether it matters or on, on the right or, um, you know, redistribution that probably, you know, isn't the most palatable thing on, even though it might be necessary. Um, to, to even Democrats on the Upper East Side. But I think we can get everyone to agree on the equality of the opportunity. Um, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. We've talked with several uh, other challengers to Maloney, and, you know, it, we've asked them this question as well. So what what would you say to someone who, who might believe that, uh, you know, having four uh, challengers, all of whom consider themselves more progressive than Maloney, what would you say to someone who thinks you guys might just end up splitting the vote and giving the win to the incumbent? You know, I'm not ever going to be in the business of, of telling people who can, who, telling people who, uh, whether they can run for office. I obviously, um, two years ago when I took on this un- undertaking, it wasn't popular to challenge incumbents. And I'll be honest with you, to some extent in this city, you were treated like a pariah by the Democratic establishment. You know, I campaigned with AOC, arm in arm, and uh, Queen's Pride, we marched together. Um, you know, and, and it was lonely. Uh, then, and I'm really glad that many people are taking on the mantle of responsibility to bring new energy and new ideas um, to the electorate. And I think, if anything, the multiple challenges just shows how weak um, the incumbent is as a progressive, you know, and it just shows, uh, it re- reinforces the notion. So when it comes to the actual election itself, will it figure itself out? I think that there are an infinite number of ways to get to the you know, 30, 35,000 votes you need to win this race. There are 720,000 residents in this district. There's 350,000 registered Democrats in this district. So there's enough of a field out there uh, for everyone to make their pitch and, and win. But I'll say this. I do sincerely believe that I'm the strongest candidate to take on Kelly Maloney. And the reason is because I've got a track record of doing this before. I outraised Carolyn Maloney and the other challengers the last quarter and currently sit with more cash on hand than the incumbent. And that's counting the fact that the incumbent takes over 50% of her dollars from corporate tax money and just gave herself a loan um, for her struggling campaign. And so, um, you know, we're in position here to run a robust field operation, to be out in, uh, in, in, in the doors and uh, community centers and churches and synagogues of this city and, and to bring representation we desperately need. You know, Queens is the most diverse place in the country, in the world. There's not a single, um, you know, South Asian representative in uh, Queens and only one in the entire state of New York. 
in a, in the state senate. That is, it's just embarrassing. And I think um, we need representation that shares our lived experiences, that looks and feels and thinks like we do, and has had to live through the same challenges. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. Sounds good. Thank you so much, guys. Looking for something to do this week? We got you covered. So if you've listened to the show anytime in the past couple months, you know that there's a Queensboro president special election coming up. Well, Common Point Queens will be hosting a Queensboro President Forum on Wednesday, March 4th at 7 p.m. at their Sam Field Center in Little Neck. But if you can't make it, next week we'll bring you a full episode about the race in preparation for the election on March 24th. Newtown Literary is hosting a free creative writing class for kids and teens. It'll be on Saturday, March 7th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. at the Queens Public Library in Jackson Heights, located at 3551 81st Street. It's free. Common Point Queens will be hosting a Purim Carnival on Saturday, March 8th from 1 to 3.30 p.m. There will be inflatable rides, obstacle courses, arts and crafts, games, food, and more. It will be at the Central Queens branch of Common Point Queens in Forest Hills, and it's free. That's our show. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode was co-produced and co-hosted by Angelica Acevedo and me, Jacob Kay. I also edited and mixed the episode. Our reporters are Max Parrott, Carlotta Muhammad, Jenna Bagkal, Bill Perry, Angelica, and me. Our editor is Zach Kowalb. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Published by Schnepps Media. See you next week.